Well, the next few minutes, I'd like to just uh, invite your attention to the Old Testament book of Amos and chapter 8. Amos chapter number 8. I've been reading through uh, the minor prophets, and uh, as I was going through the book of Amos, uh, I just, there were several things that really kind of stood out to me, I guess, that uh, really spoke to me. As I was reading it, I thought I would share them with you, and hopefully, uh, maybe as you see some of these things that I have seen, uh, there'll be an encouragement, a help to you, and even a challenge. Amos chapter 8 is where we're going to be. You can stand with me once you get there, if you're willing, uh, as we read the scripture together. Acts chapter 8, verse number 11, we'll read verses 11 and 12. The Bible says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So the Lord, as he is speaking through Amos the prophet here, has been uh, for the last eight chapters or seven and a half chapters uh, decrying their sin, their wickedness, but ultimately uh, decrying their rebellion. Uh, he's spoken uh, uh, several times about the fact that, uh, that he's been trying to get their attention Uh, the nation of Israel, trying to get them to heed his word, and they were simply not hearing and not responding. And so here in these verses that we just read, he gives this warning. He says, there are days coming. Behold, the days come that I will send a famine in the land. But he, he also says that this famine essentially is not like any other famine that you've ever known. We think of famine, the thing, the thing that we think of often is things like drought that would cause crops to cease from growing, and uh, certainly all those years ago in, in the ancient world, they didn't have trade systems like we have today where you might have some kind of a major drought in one part of the world, but we can import things from other parts of the world. If you had drought, you had famine. And you had people dying and starving to death. That was a terrible thing. Or maybe you think of things like, uh, like locusts coming in and just eating up all the crops and, and, and diseases uh, affecting entire herds of, of livestock where there would be no meat to eat. And, and obviously these things were terrible, but God says this particular famine that I'm going to send to you is not like that. This famine is not going to be one of lack of bread or a thirst of water. But this this particular famine is that you will stop hearing from God. Notice he said, but of hearing the words of the Lord at the end of verse number 11. And their response would be, verse 12, and they shall wander from sea to sea, And from the north, even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Think of the irony here. God says, because you're not listening to me, you're not heeding the message, you're not heeding the prophets that I have sent to you, 
I'm going to stop speaking, and at some point you are going to become so desperate to hear from me that you're going to get up from your place, and you're going to go all over the world looking for someone who can give you God's word, God's message. But you won't find it. Now, he's saying this to people through a prophet who is coming to them in their own place of residence in the nation of Israel, and he's, he's preaching, proclaiming the word on them, and, and what he's saying is this, Right now, you have the Word of God being spoon-fed to you, and you're not interested. But there is coming a day when you won't have it, and you'll wish that you did. Have you ever found that to be true? A lot of times, we really appreciate things a lot more after they're gone. We realize what, what we had that we took for granted. And this is what God is saying about His Word. There's coming a day when you're not going to have the Word of God so readily available to you. Now, to me, this really hits home because we live in a time, and I was even just thinking about this yesterday. One of my boys had mentioned, he said, I I was trying to spend time with the Lord, but I couldn't find my Bible. And I laughed at him. Because I said, okay, maybe you couldn't find your Bible. But if you look around the house, and the room that I was in, I looked around and I counted like eight Bibles in that room. And that's only one room of the house. I mean, they're everywhere. We've, we've got more Bibles than I could count. And then my office is full of them. And I mean, this building, any idea how many Bibles might be in this building right now? A lot. There's a lot. And by the way, if you lose the book version, most of us have it on our phone or computers, different places. If you have access to the internet, you can go online right now and find a a, a Bible, King James Bible, and read it on thousands of different websites. We live in a time where there is abundance of access to God's Word. And not only is there access to the written Word of God, But we have access to sound Bible preaching and teaching, do we not? I mean, for the most part, I would would have to say this isn't bragging or boasting, but, but I'm thankful that God has given us a church where we prioritize the preaching and teaching of His Word. And from this pulpit, from before I got here, and hopefully from from now until the, the return of Christ, this pulpit has been one and will be one where the Word of God is faithfully preached and proclaimed. And we have access. Anytime we want, we can hear a message from God. But how often do we take that for granted? How often is it that we just kind of go on about life and get too busy to really seek after the Lord and stop and listen to what He is saying to us? There could come a time, even in our day, where our access to the Word of God is far more limited than it is today. I was in uh, Bulgaria in 2017. There was a man there, uh, a German man, who had a printing ministry there. And he had a replica of Gutenberg's 
printing press and he had all these Bibles and different things, uh, just kind of a museum there that was set up, the, kind of the history of the Bible and the, the printed word and, and different uh, Bibles and manuscripts and different things. One of the things that he had was this little waterproof Bible from the 1950s. It was about that big. Full Bible, Genesis to Revelation, waterproof, that big, in Russian. The reason that they had that Bible in Russian, that big, it was waterproof, was because during the years of the Soviet Union, it was illegal to have or read a Bible in your home. And so Christians living in the Soviet Union had to come up with creative ways to get access to the Word of God. And there were people, and we, we've even had them here. If you remember last year, our, our missions conference, we had Brother Ingalls here with Couriers for Christ. And one of the things that, that ministry started as smuggling Bibles and, and Christian literature into the Soviet Union back before the fall of the Iron Curtain. So what they would do with this little waterproof Bible was the family that owned it or possessed it, if they had it, the family had one Bible, it was that big, and what they would do is they would read it around the dinner table. And the reason was because if the authorities came knocking on their door, they could take that little Bible and drop it into a bowl of soup and hide it from the authorities. And I remember seeing that and thinking, my first thought was, wow, that is really creative and really neat. My second thought was, I don't realize how blessed that I've been. To be able to live in such freedom, that, I mean, honestly, we have so much of the Word of God. It's almost a lot of times like drinking out of a fire hose, you know? We can, there's so much more than we could ever consume. But God says to the nation of Israel here, he says, listen, there's coming a day, because you have failed to heed my word, you're not going to hear it anymore. You've rejected it over and over and over, and I'm going to stop speaking. Now, if you're familiar with biblical history, that day did come. Because just a few years later, Really, the nation of Israel was carried away into Babylon. And after the Babylonian captivity, there were a couple of the post-exilic prophets. But there was a period of time, about 400 years, we know it as the intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, where God was not speaking. There were no prophets I mean, they had the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, but even that was kind of not as prevalent as it, as it had been or would be later on. And so for 400 years, nobody heard a word from God. Think about that. That was why John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, when he was in the temple doing his priestly duty, and the angel came to him with, you know, with the word of God. That was why he was so taken aback by it. I mean, nobody had heard from God in 400 years, and now, now the Lord is speaking to him through this angel. And so, 
this came to pass. The days came when what had been so abundant no longer was. You know, there's an example of that that we see in Scripture as well. Think of Saul, King Saul. King Saul had the prophet Samuel. Samuel anointed him to be king. Samuel was his spiritual leader and guide. But when Saul decided that he was no longer interested in what God had to say, Samuel quit speaking to him. And eventually Samuel died. And then Saul became desperate to know the will of God. And when Saul inquired of God, the Bible says that the Lord answered him not. And Saul's desperation was so great that what did he do? He went down to Endor and hired a woman with a familiar spirit, a witch, (laughs) to try to bring Samuel back from the dead so that he could hear a word from God. Think Think about the desperation. This, this is something that, it seems to be a principle throughout Scripture that God will speak and He'll speak and He'll speak, but because He does not impose His will, He never takes our free will away from us. At some point, if we refuse to hear Him, He quits speaking to us. The New Testament concept of that is uh, the, the idea that our, our conscience can be seared with a hot iron. Or in Romans chapter 1, where God turned them over to a reprobate mind. Now, I'm thankful that as born-again believers in Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, and we're never going to lose that, and we're never going to entirely lose access to our Heavenly Father. We'll always have that. Praise the Lord for the Spirit of God, which is with us and will be with us. But I want to say to you that this is something that I think we need to be careful about. We can very often become so accustomed to biblical truth that we actually begin to kind of ignore it. And while we may even delight in the the concept of it, how often do we allow ourselves to be transformed by it? Are we actually allowing the Word of God to work in our lives to make us what he wants us to be. So James chapter 1 talks about that hearer of the word of God who's not a doer. And it talks about him as one who is deceiving himself. One who hears the word of God, but he is not a doer of that. He doesn't heed it. And that would be like coming into church, hearing the preaching of the word of God, even being convicted, perhaps, of a need in your life and turning around, walking out the doors and doing nothing about it, forgetting about it. And we understand that one of the dangers of that is that you are, you're self-deceived into believing that you're better off. But is it possible that continued, repetitive exercise of ignoring the Word of God could result in God saying, okay, if you're not interested, if you're not going to listen then I'm not going to bother bringing you under conviction anymore. Have you ever found yourself in that place 
Folks, I had someone say to me a few months ago, this is a person who claims to be a child of God, a born-again Christian, and he said to me, I haven't been under conviction in years. Here's the thing. That statement was not in reference to a spiritual problem in his life, but a criticism of preachers. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. The fact that you haven't been under conviction in years says a whole lot more about you and your spiritual condition than it does about the preaching you've been listening to. Because if you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, trust me, there, there's enough Bible out there to work in your heart. Have you ever found yourself, though, in a place where you just kind of like God's not working on you anymore? Could it be that it's just that we've quit listening? Could it be that we've just quit listening? I want to look at a couple other places here in Amos before we finish up. I, I want you to see chapter 4, Amos chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. He says, and I, and I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Okay, so we talked about that first kind of famine, the famine of bread and of water. He says, I've done that. I brought famine. I brought hardship into your life to turn your heart back to me. But you didn't return to me. Look at verse 7. And also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence, after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword, and have taken away your horses, and have made the stink of your camps to come up under your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning." Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Five different times. Five different times the Lord says there, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, to try and bring you to a point of repentance. I chastened you, but you did not respond with repentance. This, this statement, this, this warning, this judgment... That you're, you're going to have a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. This was after many attempts on God's part to try and get a hold of the heart of the people. But they were not willing to hear. And what I want to encourage you in tonight and, and really challenge you about is this. Not only do we need to have an appreciation for the word of God. But we need to give our attention to God when He's trying to get our attention. We need to be willing to say, Okay, Lord, what is it that you're trying to say to me 
and not ignore him. Because look at what the result of that was. Go over to chapter 5. After all of these things that they were doing and not listening to him, look what it says in verse 21 of chapter 5. God says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy viols. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch, and Cheon, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. God says, listen, you've refused to obey me. Now, he's enumerated their sins. He's told them that they've taken advantage of the poor. They've, uh, they, 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 they've basically just they've cast off judgment. They're not dealing in honesty and fairness. They're spoiling uh, those who are oppressed. And God was sick and tired of it. He said, I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. I, have the, I get the impression, the idea there, that there was some sodomy taking place. There was all kinds of wickedness going on. They were worshiping false gods. And in the midst of all of that, they're still going about and doing their feasts offering their sacrifices. They are trying to worship God, but they're not repenting of their wickedness. So, in other words, it's like this. I'm going to continue in my sin, but then when I come to church, I'm going to expect that God is going to be pleased with me because I came to church and I sang some songs, and I listened to the preaching, and I put some money in the offering plate. God says, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. God's not looking for a hypocritical outward worship and service. What did David say? He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He's not looking for our sacrifices He's looking for a heart that says, yes, Lord. And then verse number 6, or chapter 6, verse number 1. Look at this statement. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. So here was, here was their problem. God was not pleased with them. Because they were not listening to him. They were not repenting of their wickedness. God was not pleased. God was bringing chastening in their lives. And he's telling them that judgment is coming. But so far, they're still comfortable where they are. There are few things more dangerous to your spiritual life than comfort and ease. 
we so, on, so often get just comfortable with where we are. And honestly, as, as American Christians living in the 21st century, we struggle with this more than probably most generations before us. Because we have lived in such ease and comfort. Who needs God? I mean, really. We would never admit that openly. We would never say that. But that's how we live so frequently. We, we live many times. We live like practical atheists. Outside of Sunday. How often do we really acknowledge our need for God, our dependence upon Him? We live life in comfort, at ease. And as long as our comfort isn't all shaken up, then everything must be fine. God said in chapter 4 and verse number 4, Come to Bethel and transgress. And at Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. He says, go ahead. Keep going through the motions of your religion without turning your heart to me. And I will regard it as sin and wickedness. And there will come a day of judgment for that. That was what the Lord was saying to them. Now, what is it that God expects of us? How do we respond? Maybe, maybe you would... Maybe you would look at yourself and say, okay, I know, that, I know that I don't always heed the Word of God as I should. I don't always appreciate the Word of God as I should. I don't always respond in obedience to the Lord the way that I should. But I don't want to find myself like Saul or like these Israelites one day finding myself desiring to hear from God and not. What do I do? Chapter number 5, verse 4. Look at this. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Now, just for your just for clarity's sake here, these were places of worship. Bethel in particular, of course, is famous in the Bible. The word Bethel means the house of God. So just read that first part of verse number 5, but seek not Bethel. That sounds like a strange statement, doesn't it? You, 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 want, to, you want to be right with me? Don't go to the house of God. What's he saying? Well, you've been living in vain, empty religion, mingled with your wickedness. 
don't think you're going to fix this problem by just going to the house of the Lord and offering sacrifices. What did he say, verse 4? For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Verse number 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. What, what's, what, what's the idea here? What he's saying is the answer is not found at the altar. The, an, the answer is found in him. If there's one thing that I can admonish you, encourage you in tonight, it's this. If you want to be right with God, you're not going to make that right with God through your outward duties. You're going to get right with God when you seek Him and seek His face. What, what would happen to you if everything you've ever known in regard to the things of God. This church, every like-minded church, all uh, Christians everywhere, what would happen if we all just were gone? I heard someone talking about why they're no longer a Christian. They've decided that they're, they're not a believer anymore. And the reasoning was that the church that they had been in, that they were so convinced was the, 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 the right place to be, it turned out that there were a lot of problems with it, and then they went somewhere else, and he found this preacher that he thought really was this great man of God, and then it turned out that that guy was a fraud, and, and then there were, he was involved in another ministry where there were some problems there, and basically over and over and over he saw hypocrisy and lies and things like that, and so he just quit believing. But you know what he never said? Jesus failed me. You know why? Because none of what he said had anything to do with Christ and everything to do with man and everything to do with religion and church. God said, seek me. Seek me. The answer to being right with God is to seek Him. Can I ask you, Christian friend, are you seeking God and heeding His word? 